This week, you are going to discover the secrets of extreme self-care and why taking care of yourself is so important to the health of your relationship. But first, the Relationship Alive podcast is my offering to you to help you have the most amazing, thriving relationship possible. And the Relationship Alive podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. If you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation. All you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions to choose something that feels right for you. And this week, I would love to thank Cynthia, Lara, Paula, Jordan, Lita, Sarah, and Abe. Thank you all so much for your continued support of the Relationship Alive podcast. Now, when it comes to self-care, one of the things that is so important is how you communicate your need for self-care to your partner. And there are some secrets to communicating in relationship that I've put together to help you have those kinds of conversations in a way that's connecting, no matter how challenging the topic that you're trying to cover. You can download my relationship communication guide for free if you visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And before we dive in, I just want to remind you that if you're on Facebook and interested in joining a group of people who are Relationship Alive listeners and who are gathered to support each other in having amazing relationships, then come find the Relationship Alive community on Facebook and click join. Okay, I think that's it. It's time to get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. On today's show, we're going to dive deep into the question of how to take care of yourself and why it is so important to take care of yourself in the context of nurturing your relationship with others, whether that be your spouse, your partner, your children, other important people in your life. At the core of it all is rests your ability to nurture who you are here in this journey of your life on the planet. And we've covered some more maybe psychological ways to do that. Uh, episodes with Dick Schwartz, with Peter Levine, et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've covered the gamut. And yet what I wanted you to have today is some very nuts and bolts practical approaches to the art of extreme self-care. And I'm saying that intentionally because today's guest is, I think, the person who launched that term into the public eye, extreme self-care. And in fact, she is one of maybe a dozen people who launched the uh, the profession of coaching in the world. So if you are working with a coach or are thinking about working with a coach, um, then you have this esteemed guest to thank for coaching being what it is today. Her name is Cheryl Richardson, and she is author of New York Times bestselling books. She's been on the Oprah Winfrey show. Um, in particular, the first book of hers that I read, Take Time for Your Life, was huge for me in realizing all the ways in which I was uh, not showing up for me and what that was costing me in other aspects of my life. Um, Cheryl has a long-running radio show, and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about, about what she's doing and what she's done. Um, she leads retreats and still does coaching, I believe. And in the meantime, um, she is here with us today to share with her, with us her wisdom on how to take care of yourself extremely well. 
If you are interested in downloading a transcript from today's conversation, then you can visit neilsatin.com slash self-care, all one word, uh, or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. I think that's it. So Cheryl Richardson, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Hi, Neil. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You are most welcome. And uh, I'm, I think when I first reached out to you is maybe two and a half years ago. So it's great to finally be able to connect um, with a Sorry fellow, it took so long. <laughs> a fellow New Englander. And that's fine. I'm, I'm sure that you were, you were saying no until it was a definite yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll fill in uh, everyone listening on what we're even talking about just then. So perhaps, like, why extreme self-care? Well, let's start there. Why extreme and not just take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, the phrase extreme self-care was first coined by my coach, Thomas Leonard, who really is the man who sort of single-handedly launched the profession of coaching back in the early 90s. And uh, he was my first coach, and I worked with him. And as you said in your introduction, a handful of other coaches who were sort of helping him to craft the curriculum for Coach University, which was his training organization at the time, and he's since passed away. Um, but he he coined that phrase, and he had, I remember early early on, he after we had been working together for a few years, he was developing this extreme self-care program um, as part of the coaching curriculum, and he called upon both myself and uh, a colleague of mine, Stephen Clooney was his name, to work with him on developing the program. So he coined the phrase, and I decided to bring it to sort of the mainstream world after he had passed um, through the book, The Art of Extreme Self-Care. And that book was really written, you know, I had been teaching self-care, as you mentioned, Take Time for Your Life. I had written that book and Stand Up for Your Life, which was, so Take Time was about sort of self-care, getting a handle on the outer world, stand up for your life was about building confidence and character and self-esteem. And then the unmistakable touch of grace was about going even more deeply inward and taking care of our self-care for the spirit, you know, taking care of our spiritual well-being. And, you know, when I wrote The Art of Extreme Self-Care, it's, I've been teaching about self-care for many years, but my husband was really sick at the time. And at the time that I had the book contract and, um, I remember I was really struggling to support him through his illness. And my best friend at the time said to me, how can you possibly write a book on extreme self-care when your life is in a state of extreme disrepair? And, um, and I remember thinking, my God, she's right. And, (laughs) you know, early on Thomas had used the phrase extreme. I remember one time he said to me, you know, you don't just need self-care, you need extreme self-care because I was such a good girl back then. And I was such a yes machine that he was really challenging me and he was brilliant at honoring his own needs and at setting boundaries. And, you know, at one point he said to me, your good girl role is going to rob you of your life. And uh, so I think he used the word extreme certainly to get my attention, but to also get the attention of those of us who were training to be coaches by first really getting a handle on our own lives and our own self-care so that we could be good models and so that we could, in working with people, really know what people were up against when it came to practicing better self-care so that we could support them with integrity and with real empathy, I would say. And, and what is extreme about it? Well, it really depends on who you are. Because, for example, I remember one time early in my coaching with Thomas, he said, you know, we both identified that I, like a lot of people, especially women, was always saying yes, because I didn't want to hurt someone's feelings. I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to piss off people. I wanted them to like me. And so he gave me an assignment for 30 days. I had to piss off one person a day, (laughs) every day for 30 days. And I remember being, now for me, that was extreme, right? For a lot of people, that would be extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was trying to help me find a balance. And a lot of times when we grow, we go from one way of being in the world to the complete opposite for some of us until we find a balance in between. So he was challenging me like a good coach will do. And I've done this for years with my clients. 
You challenge your clients to do more than they think they can, and they often fall somewhere in the middle, but it's far better than where they were. And that's really what he was doing, I think, at the time. Yeah, and what I appreciate about it, among many things, is that it isn't polarized in the way that, like there are a lot of popular books right now that are basically about kind of not caring what other people think. Yeah. And and what's so artful about what you teach is that these are ways that you can take care of yourself, but in a way that actually still honors your connectedness, your your relatedness to other people. Well, yeah. And as a matter of fact, you know, there's one point. So my my most recent book, Waking Up in Winter, which isn't a how-to book, but instead is a memoir that just shares with people exactly how I live an examined life and how I grapple with my own self-care. At one point, when I was going back to sort of edit this little section um, that I had written about doing an interview around self-care, I, I just, you know, I just named something that I hadn't been able to really name, and I'm not going to be able to do it as well as I can, as well as I did in the book here in this moment. But, you know, ultimately, we're all really caring people. I mean, trying to teach people to not care what other people think, I say good luck to that. I mean, that's just <laughs> not going to happen because we are relational beings. We have a need for belonging. We have a need for connection. Most of us do, very high percentage of people. And so it's not that we want to take care of ourselves at all costs. What we really want is more integrity in our relationships, right? We want to be able to be who we really are. We want others to be who they really are. And we want relationships and connectedness based on, based on truth. Yes. So if I say to you, Neil, yeah, sure, I'll help you move on Saturday when I haven't had a day off in 30 days and then suddenly I'm really pissed and resentful, because I now have my only day off scheduled to help you move. I promise you, I'm not going to show up on the on the morning of your move. It's unlikely I will show up being all excited and ready to be supportive of you. So most of us, when we're overwhelmed, and most of us are busy and overwhelmed, when we say yes out of guilt or obligation or just unconsciousness, we end up putting sort of taking little bites out of our relationships, out of the integrity of our relationships. And eventually, you wind up with a lot of stuff that's unsaid or a lot of sort of unnecessary energy between two people that prevents a clean, vital, alive connection with the other person. So, you know, I find as I get older, and I I think I'm probably much older than you are, I want relationships with people based on authenticity, based on aliveness, based on truth, uh, based on a give and take relationship. I don't want to be sitting having dinner with somebody who spends the whole time just talking about themselves and their problems. I have no interest in that. And, uh, and if you're somebody I really care about, then I'm going to attempt to interject. I'm going to attempt to create some balance in the give and take. But if that's not something you're sensitive to or aware of, then I'm probably not going to have dinner with you again. you know. And I wouldn't want somebody to do that with me either. If somebody felt drained or frustrated or irritable after spending time with me, I'd want to know that, number one. And number two, yeah. I'd want to I'd rectify it because at our best, we, you know, when we've got really good, clean, honest, open communication with one another, you know, we really get the value of relationship and our relationships become alive, much like your podcast name, right? They they are alive and fulfilling and meaningful and satisfying. And, and in the end, you know, that's what really matters. I promise you that's what really matters. <laughs> um, so maybe a great specific thing, because I really love the wording of this. You talk about how to say no gracefully to someone mm-hmm. um, and, and in a way that is about honoring your relationship with someone and it being based on truth or, or being willing to be truthful with someone because you honor and respect your relationship with, with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what are they, what's the key to delivering a, a truthful message? And it could be delivering a no to someone, like say, refusing to help them out, let's say, or show up for something, or, or to change your mind about something you've committed to. Or it could be a, a moment of 
of wanting to provide feedback about what's going on in a relationship to bring the truth to it in a way that isn't heavy handed? Well, um, the honest answer is that for all of each of those different situations, the language is going to be different, right? Mm -hmm. So let's start by looking at what are some of the general truths for all of it. Number one, if you're having any kind of an emotional reaction to a conversation, you're scared of having it, you feel pressured, you're anxious, um, you're pissed off, you know, whatever. If you're having some kind of an emotional reaction or response to somebody or to the need for conversation, then the very first thing you want to do is go handle that without having a conversation. <laughs> um, I love it. There's a wonderful book called Growing Yourself Back Up by John Lee that I recommend all the time to people because it's about emotional regression, which is something that um, therapists understand. Coaches don't necessarily understand it because they're not therapists. But you know, when somebody gets their buttons pushed, we often go into a regressed state. So I'm suddenly not 58 years old, I'm 12. And I'm about to have an adult conversation with you as a 12-year-old. And chances are it's not going to go well, right? Right. So the first thing I need to do is step back and grow myself back up. It might be that I have to turn to my husband or another friend to kind of process the experience. This happens a lot when you've got people in your life that are critical or um, mean-spirited or, you know, the, the nasty boss who humiliates you in front, front of other employees. Whenever people are inappropriate, the normal human reaction is to be stunned into silence. Mm -hmm. You don't even know what to say. And then people usually beat themselves up afterwards for not having said something. Right. But it's, but it's normal when somebody behaves inappropriately to not have a response because you're too busy processing the shock of it. Right. So you need to walk away and process that. Have conversations. Maybe write, it, you know, write in your journal or write a letter to the person um, do some emotional, you know, go to, go to see a therapist, depending on the in intensity of it. You want to just get yourself into as neutral a state as possible. In coaching, we call it charge neutral, right? So it's not, um, it's not an excited or a reactive state. That's true for any conversation. Perfect. Um, and then I would also say, uh, again, a good general guideline is keep it short, sweet, and to the point. I can't stress this enough. My dad used to say this to me. I grew up in a family business, and my dad, at, like from the time I was 16 years old, if, when he would be communicating with clients, he was a tax consultant, or he would do like an annual letter to his his clients, he would always say to me, keep things short, sweet, and to the point. That way people remember, they get your message and they're not bogged down with too many words. And I think it's the same thing in difficult conversations. So what's your truth? Um, and you deliver that as succinctly as possible. Along with that, you don't want to defend your position. You don't want to over-explain it, which would be giving too much, right? And you don't want to open the door for debate. So that's part of the reason why I say keep it short, sweet, and to the point. Um, and then I would say... Um, I think, I think those are probably the most important general guidelines. And if you can enter into a conversation without, a, without being emotionally activated, you've got your best chance of being gracious. And when you keep it, oh, and prepare. That's the other thing. Sorry. The other thing I want to say is if you have to have a difficult conversation, and for some people, saying no to a friend who asks you to babysit their kids is a difficult conversation. So they need to step back and process the feelings. Like, let's use that as an example. You've got to step back and process the anxiety in your body of, oh, God, I know she's going to be really pissed at me. And, you know, she watched my kids two times last month, but I'm just, I'm not able to do it. And, or I really don't want to do it. Her kids are difficult and they're exhausting for me. I don't have kids and, you know, it's not easy for me to be with them. Like, whatever the reason is, process that truth first. And then you can simply have a conversation. And I think it's always best to have a phone conversation unless the person is toxic in any way, then we can talk about that separately. So it might be that you just simply get on the phone and you say to your friend, um, I, got your, I got your message about wanting to take care of the kids and I'm not going to be able to do it. And I want you to know that I will absolutely look for a time in the future when I can, but for this time I'm not able to and I hope you understand, period period. Then you keep your mouth shut. And regardless of what that friend says, you just repeat the truth of what you just said and nothing more. Mm -hmm. 
you know, oh God, that's too bad. I really needed you to watch. Like, I can't find anybody. There's no one. Jeez, I, I'm so sorry. I really look forward to helping you out in the future. I just can't do it this time. Yeah, but you know, I'm always watching your kids. You should really, you know, I recognize you're watching my kids and I appreciate that and I will absolutely return the favor. I just can't do it this time. You see? So yeah. I'm, I'm not saying, you know what, I'm so sorry, but, you know, I promised Jim that we'd get together this weekend and, you know, we're supposed to like, we're supposed to have like a date night and, or a date day. I mean, the minute you do that, now you're opening it up for interpretation. You're, you know, you're, it's just, it's completely unnecessary. So. Um, right. And what's, what's interesting too, I think is that the more you say, when you talk about opening it up for interpretation, that's totally true. The The meaning that the other person is making, whether it's, oh, they value right. this person more than me, or, that's right. oh, they don't, they actually don't really like my children, or <laughs> whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so the more you just keep it short, sweet, and to the point, um, the truth is, whatever story they make up is their story, and that's their responsibility to manage that. So um, that's why I say it's so important to... Um, process ahead of time, then plan what you're going to say, keep it short, sweet, and to the point. Don't over explain, don't debate it, don't even open it for just keep returning to the truth of what you've said. And, um, and let that be enough. Baby, Chloe, I'm back from the beach. Oh, I wondered where you were. Yeah, I had such a nice time. It was so beautiful. And I got to try out all my fun new goodies from FabFitFun. Oh, that's right. You know, I'm talking to Cheryl Richardson right now. Oh, whoops. Sorry. That's okay. Let's. I just want to hear about it, though. Like, how did it go? I'm curious about that towel. The towel was amazing. It's big and beautiful, but it's also made of this amazing microfiber that doesn't. Ha- the sand doesn't stick to it. That's really cool. I know. Super cool. And then the amazing organic sunscreen. Uh, Guilt-free protection. Guilt-free protection, baby. That's awesome. I know. Yeah, I'm really impressed with what FabFitFun sent our way. I have been, too. It's been really fun to discover all the new things. So in case you're wondering, FabFitFun creates a seasonal subscription box with full-size goodies, from the fashion category, fitness, lifestyle, beauty, fun. Just good stuff. Really good stuff. And th- what's really cool about it is that each box retails for $49.99, but it comes with more than $200 worth of goodies. Yeah, in fact, the summer box comes with over $300 worth of goodies. Which, I don't know how they do that, but it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And everything that they sent was really high quality. Like, you keep talking about how you're using things and how they, how well they work. I know. Like, the eyeliner is amazing, which is almost the same price as just the box itself. I know. It, like, stays on so well. So, because FabFitFun is sponsoring this episode of Relationship Alive, they are also offering a special for you. If you visit FabFitFun.com, and order their seasonal box and use the coupon code ALIVE, you will get $10 off the box. So it will only be $39.99 for a box with well over $200 worth of amazing items. So worth it and super fun. Yeah. So I think it would be a great gift for that special someone in your life or maybe even for yourself. That's right. (laughs) You certainly seem to like the surprise. Yeah, it was really fun and and a way I could gift myself, too. Yeah. We need more of that in our lives. We definitely do. And considering that today we're talking all about self-care, why not treat yourself to a cool box with amazing stuff from fabfitfun.com? Yahoo! <laughs> Thanks so much, FabFitFun, for sponsoring this episode of Relationship Alive. And if you get it and get cool things, let us know what you got. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait to hear. Don't forget to use the coupon code ALIVE at FabFitFun for $10 off your first box. Now, we also have one more sponsor this week, and I'm really excited about them because they have a great offer for you if you or someone you know wears contact lenses, like I do. Their name is simplecontacts.com, 
and they're offering $30 off your first order with them if you visit simplecontacts.com slash alive or use the coupon code alive when you check out. Now, simplecontacts.com has made it really easy not only to get your supply of contact lenses because they carry all major brands, but also to get your prescription renewed if you need to do that. They created a vision test that you can take in the comfort of your own home in less than five minutes, and it only costs $20 compared to whatever a visit to the eye doctor would cost you. Now, it's not meant to replace a full eye health exam, but it is a way to get a doctor-approved prescription renewal without having to leave the comfort of your own home. Standard shipping through them is free, and on top of that, they do have stellar customer service, and I can attest to that. Because I have a somewhat rare condition called Dwayne's Retraction Syndrome, if you want to look it up. And the deal with Dwayne's Retraction Syndrome is that I can't turn my eyes to the left or right. And of course, their vision test requires you to turn your eyes. But whatever, I took the test and I just figured I'd wait and see what would happen and see if someone would actually review it and notice that I wasn't turning my eyes. And sure enough, I actually got a text right away from their customer support people who were extremely personable and they told me that I needed to retake the turning your eyes part. So I explained to them my situation and the condition that I have and they consulted with their doctors and then told me I was all set and it was as easy as that. So I use contacts when I dance or go to the beach, and I'm really psyched to have a reliable source when my supply is running low. So the whole process with simplecontacts.com is really easy and fast, and I'm delighted again to be able to offer you $30 off your first order if you try them out. All you have to do is visit simplecontacts.com slash alive or use the coupon code alive at checkout to get your discount. Thanks, Simple Contacts, for helping make Relationship Alive possible. And now it is time to get back to the show. Where we're talking with Cheryl Richardson about making boundaries and what to do if you are maybe afraid of disappointing other people. And then you'll need to deal, you know, if it's a hard conversation for you, like, I don't like disappointing people, Neil. I don't like being disappointed. I haven't liked it since I was a little girl. And I've done a lot of work on dealing with my own issues around disappointment. But I know I can get activated. Just ask my husband. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, we're supposed to do something. And he decides, oh, you know what? I've had a horrible day. I just can't do it. I'm just exhausted. And I'm just not able to do it. And I'm like, you know, I get all activated. The little girl in me, I go into a regressed state sometimes. And it's my responsibility to step back and go, okay, sweetheart, 90% of your reaction has nothing to do with this present moment. Yeah. So let's grow, your, let's become an adult again. Get out of the room and go get your shit together. Excuse my French. <laughs> no, that's so, fine. And we, we have actually talked about that a lot on the show, recognizing those parts of us that are, that are stuck in earlier places and earlier traumas and, and trying to find the signs that that's where we're operating from instead of operating from our wise adult self yeah. and to show up to care for those, those parts of us. Um, you that's know, whether right. it's, we talked about it with Margaret Paul, um, with her yeah, inner so bonding she's work. She's brilliant. She understands. Yes. It's yeah. exactly, you know, it's internal family systems work. It's inner yeah. child work. It's yes, it's absolutely. And, um, that's really important. That's why, so from a communication standpoint, self-care, the decision to take care of oneself brings up a lot of stuff. If you grew up in a family where it wasn't okay to tend to your own needs, or you just didn't, it was never demonstrated to you, you never learned how to do it, it can bring up a lot of anxiety. The simplest thing can bring up a lot of anxiety. And we do need to be really respectful and loving and honoring of those parts of us that get activated and we don't want to communicate with people when they get activated. Now, this especially comes into play when we're dealing with tough people, right? Critical people, authority figures. Um, ex-spouses. Ex-spouses. Yeah, okay, great. Or, or situations fraught with, you know, excitability, uh, toxic people, all of that. It's become so important. To The more toxic the relationship, the briefer the conversation needs to be. And I will say that, in situations like a toxic ex-spouse, let's say, or um, 
a toxic parent or sibling, which, you know, I hear, I'll, I'll hear a lot about that sort of stuff. Um, sometimes the best way to communicate is via email, once again, using the guidelines, but not going, you know, a lot of times people will say to me, I just had a conversation with somebody recently who had to have a very difficult conversation with a really toxic friend. And she was really scared of her. Understandably so. The woman was a bully. And I said to this person, no, 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 no. You don't need, she said to me, well, I feel like it's only right that I see her face to face. Well, that's really lovely. And clearly you're a person of integrity, but it's not good self-care because mm-hmm. this person's going to eat you for lunch. So instead you need to communicate what you have to communicate via email. That's when it's appropriate. It's not appropriate when you're just trying to get out of a tough conversation with somebody you love. But when somebody's really inappropriate, has a history of that, or is toxic in some way, or where you get incredibly triggered like an ex-spouse, sometimes you're doing both of you a favor. And let me also say this. Sometimes you're doing both of you a favor by communicating via email. The other thing that's important is if you have to deliver really tough, bad news to somebody, you want to remember that sometimes you're doing them a favor by communicating via email because you're giving them a chance to process their reaction instead of puking it all over you. And I use that gross word intentionally because a lot of times that's what happens. People end up just puking their unfinished stuff, their unresolved stuff, their old stuff on you. And a lot of damage happens in relationships because of that. I know. I, I hope more and more for to foster a society where people are recognizing their potential to do that and stopping themselves yeah. but i think it's it's healthy to recognize that 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 ain't happening all the time by any means more and more yeah. i think you listening to the show that's probably true for you where you recognize oh i get triggered i'm going into my fight mode or and and i'm going to let someone i could let someone have it but i'm not going to because i recognize that that's what's what's going on um there is a phrase that you mentioned in um one of the recordings of yours I was listening to, and I think in one of your books as well, that I just love so much. So I want to make sure we say it specifically. And it's something like, um, because I honor and, and respect our friendship or our relationship or you, I need to tell you the truth. Yes, yes. So it's in an effort to honor our relationship, I want to be honest with you. Or in an effort to honor our relationship, I need to tell you the truth. I would say I want to be honest. Just depending on who it is, keeping it more conversational makes it feel less threatening to the other person. So let me give you an example. This is an example I talk about all the time because I keep using it because people keep coming to me afterwards going, oh, my God, that was so helpful. I needed to hear that. Um, So let's say you have a friend that's constantly complaining about her job. Like every time you talk to her, she's, she's, or she's just a chronic complainer. And you know you have a friend like this when you look at um, caller ID and you see that they're calling and you let it go to voicemail, <laughs> right? Or you make dinner or lunch plans and you keep canceling at the last minute. Right. You know, these are the things we need to pay attention to in our relationships. Those are the clues that something's not working. So if you have a friend that's chronically complaining, it's really important to know that Oh, and by the way, let me just say, this friend will also say things like, you know what, Neil? God, I just love you. You know, every time I call you and, you know, I just talk about what's going on in my life, I feel so much better afterwards. I just feel re- relieved and energized. And meanwhile, Neil, you're hanging up the phone filled with, you know, all of their junk, exhausted and overwhelmed <laughs> and thinking, oh, why did I answer the phone, right? Right. Going through every spiritual clearing I know to release all that stuff. <laughs> exactly. You're smudging yourself, <laughs> you're taking a shower and all of that. So, um, so it's important to recognize that when somebody's like that in your life, you show up, you answer the phone, you're completely, you know, you're, you're energetically clear. You're in a good place. I often use the visual of, you know, the thermometers you see in front of churches when they're raising money mm-hmm. and they show the red line moves up as they raise more and more money. Well, if you imagine yourself as an empty vessel without a red line, when the friend, the complaining friend calls and you pick up the phone and they start, wah, 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 you know, like the Charlie Brown character, wah, wah, wah. And before you know it, the red line of anxiety or just stuff is, moving up, up, up in you because they're puking their, their negativity onto you. And again, I use that gross word intentionally. 
So it's coming out of them. Their red line is going down. Yours is going up. And by the end of the conversation, you're filled with their anxiety and you're exhausted. And they're feeling like light and happy and, you know, off to the next thing. The problem with that scenario is, unfortunately, I know you know this, Neil, because I think you were trained through Tony Robbins' work, right? Yep, that was part of my training. Yeah, most of us are, um, most human beings are motivated by pain or pleasure, and most of it is pain, right? Right. So when we get our anxiety relieved, we lose our motivation to take action to change things. So people who are chronic complainers who have vessels for their complaining keep getting to empty themselves of the anxiety of their situation so that they don't really ever get to a point where they have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I'm not really doing you any favors by listening to you complain, right? Right. So um, in that regard, so that's the basis for a conversation where let's say, um, let's say um, you're the draining friend, Neil. Sorry, I'll only have you be there for a few minutes. <laughs> um, so my conversation- Cheryl, you're always making me the draining friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right? I'm so sorry. So, um, so what I would say to you is, Neil, you know what? In an effort to honor our relationship, I really want to be honest with you. The last several times we've talked, you've been complaining about your job, and it sounds like you're really unhappy. And you know what? Sometimes I hang up the phone and I feel kind of exhausted, or I notice myself every now and then kind of avoiding your phone calls, or, and I don't want that between us. So I just want to be honest with you. I am here to support you in doing something about changing this job you can't stand. I'll do research for you. I'll help you. I'll take a look at your resume. You know, I'll help you find a career counselor, like whatever I can do to support you. But I can't listen to you complain about it anymore. And I just wanted you to know that so that in the future, if you start to complain about it, I'm just going to gently say, hey, Neil, remember that conversation we had? I just want to remind you, tell me what I can do to support you in taking action. And then you keep your mouth shut. You don't say anything. Even if you're tempted, like, I hope, you know, I hope you understand. I hope you're not mad. Just keep your mouth shut. Be empowered. That's, that's a way to really raise our level of self-esteem, by the way, by speaking our truth and then shutting up. And then whatever you say to me, well, you know, you complain about things too, Cheryl, and <clears throat> excuse me, I I get, you know, I don't think I complain about it this much. Well, you know what, Neil, my experience is that you do, and I want to support you in doing something about it. So I promise you, I'm happy to do, you know, happy to help you take action. I just can't listen to the complaining. Whatever you say, I need to just keep saying that. And then the last thing I want to say is, and by the way, Neil, you'll probably forget that we had this conversation, and I'll gently remind you when it happens again. Because the truth is, if you keep listening to friends that are chronically complaining, um, you've trained them to believe that that's okay. It's just, you know, they have a neural network set up, you have a neural network set up. That's what regression is. It's neural programming, right? Right. We tap into an old program and it starts running. And you're saying you're breaking up that neural network, that neural program, and that you're going to remind them that you're doing that. And, um, and, so then what's really important is that I back up that boundary with action so that if a week from now you call me and you start complaining about your boss, I better say to you, hey, Neil, remember that conversation we had? Tell me what I can do to support you. Because if you don't, you're also you're doing even more damage to the relationship because you're essentially saying to your friend, you know, you, you, you don't keep your word. Your, your, your word isn't to be paid attention to or trusted. So. Right. Right. And I think that that's helpful, too, because so much of what creates uh, alive relationships is having a container that feels safe. Now, within that safe container, that doesn't mean that you don't that there's not room to ask for adjustments like you were just talking about. But the the container of safety, like you set it up by saying, you know, in an effort to honor our relationship, I need to be honest with you. So you're you're saying I honor you. And, and on the flip side, you're also saying like, and you can trust me that Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let this go, you know? Yeah. Well, and you can trust me that I'll tell you the truth. I think about some of my closest friends and they're, they're my closest friends because I know that they'll be honest with me and I know that they care about the maintenance of our friendship, right? right? They don't want unspoken things between us. And the friendships that I've had that have ended the very 
long, important friendships I've had that have ended have all ended because of what was unspoken and undealt with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's also important when you talk about creating a safe container. I mean, all of my work for years has been about building healthy relationships, both in my own life, first and foremost, and then, and then teaching it, you know, as a teacher. And my husband, Michael, and I have been together almost 25 years. And the, the first year we met, the, the year before we got married, we spent a year doing Imago therapy, Harville Hendrix's Imago therapy together. Yeah. Um, I introduced Michael to it. I told him that I did not want to, ha- I was not going to get into a committed relationship, especially a marriage with somebody who wasn't willing to do the work. And it was the smartest thing we ever did. And it was all about creating a safe container, right? Yeah. Learning, learning to create a dialogue process. I don't know if you've done any podcasts around that work, Neil. Oh, yeah. Harville and Helen have been on the show twice now. Great. So, okay, yeah. great. So, you're, so a lot of your audience are familiar. Yeah. Harville is a, is a dear. And um, one of his colleagues was, was and is our therapist on call for Imago Therapy. And we've used him off and on over the years when we've been in tough places all because that dialogue process creates a safe container. And you can use it with friends. You can use it in business situations. I've used it in coaching relationships with people, in coaching people through, you know, difficult situations. And um, it is all about safety because we all get triggered. We're going to emotionally regress for the rest of our lives. I mean, that's just without a doubt. I can be the healthiest, most functioning adult. You know, I saw this. My dad died a year ago, November. And the night that he died, I'm one of seven children. And thank God for the work I do because, I mean, I was having my own reaction to my father dying. But I, here I am in a hospital with my whole family. And I'm just watching, bing, 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 one yeah. emotional regression after another, knowing, breathe, do not pay attention to anything that's going on right now because everybody is in a regressed state. Nobody is in a sane, wise adult state. People are scared. They're grief-stricken. They're traumatized. Just stay sane as best you can. And, you know, and of course, I had my husband with me who knew exactly what was going on and was this was such an example. And I think this is important to say in terms of relationships. He was such an example that night of how powerful one's presence can be without saying a word. Mm -hmm. He was this calm, grounded, loving presence for everybody he and my brother-in-law, both of them, they were like anchors for everybody. They just, just being in the room, um, he would, I would watch him go from one room to another room where there was emotional upset. He would step into a room and just sit and everybody would calm down. And that's the power of um, getting a handle on emotional regression on our own reactions and growing ourselves back up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm having this thought of like, well, I wonder if when I'm 80, I'll regress to when I'm in my 40s and everything will be fine. But <laughs> I know. So it's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, I certainly have had experiences at 58 of, you know, regressing into um, being, remembering, you know, my mid 30s or 40s, let's say from a career perspective, when things were just going gangbusters. And I've had the experience of feeling overwhelmed like I did back then. But so much of regression goes all the way back to where it all started, right? Yeah. And the family of origin works. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, or maybe even for some of us, what we brought in to this life. Without a life. doubt. I, yeah. I personally believe that, yeah. yeah. Um, Cheryl, I want to ensure, because this has been so powerful to talk about ways of creating healthy boundaries as a way of taking care of yourself. And I'm wondering, we don't have a lot of time left, um, but I want to ensure that we touch on some of the other things that are so important. And at this moment, I just want you listening to know that Cheryl's books are amazing. They they lay everything out step by step. So you're not going to get overwhelmed with trying to figure out how to take care of yourself. It's going to be, um, it's there's a system there for you to follow. And I'm wondering, Cheryl, if you could give us just a taste of some of the things, like let's pull it back inward and and how to really show up for us so that we're nurturing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where so much of your work is so powerful. Well, and, you know, in a lot of ways, my most recent book really demonstrates that, you know, Waking Up in Winter, um, the subtitle is In Search of What Really Matters at Midlife, but it could have been subtitled In Search of What Really Matters at a Transition Point in One's Life. And um, 
by, by the time it, when it came time for me to write another book, I realized I really honestly felt like I had said all I needed to say about self-care and work-life balance and high-quality living in all of my books. And what I really wanted was something I think a lot of us want, and that is to experience the healing power of story and example instead of teaching how to, quote, information and advice. Because mm-hmm. we have so much of it now, right? And right. so um, Waking Up in Winter is a memoir in journal form. And I think journaling is one of the most powerful things we can do as an act of self-care, as an act of building a strong relationship with oneself. And I sort of demonstrate that through the book by taking a journal that was already written. It's not one that I wrote to be published. It was already written. And I'm showing people what it means to grapple with issues of self-care, what it means to be too busy, what it means to um, enter a period of life where you feel like you're lingering in limbo, where you don't know what's next. Um, you know what you don't want, but you don't know what you do want, or you don't, you're waiting for the next stage of your life, but you're kind of clueless about what it is. And um, how do you hold on during those times? And how do you deal with the ending of friendships? You know, I write about the ending of a very important friendship. And how do you deal with career transition and reevaluating? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I wanted people to know that they weren't alone in this process of trying to cultivate a deeper relationship with themselves. And it sort of um, takes people on that journey by sharing what happened to me. And there's one part in the book that um, I mentioned, Louise Hay, who I had the the good fortune to write a book with um, before this one. You know, Louise said to me one time when we were traveling together, she said, Cheryl, you will be with you longer than anyone else on the planet. Why not make it a good relationship? And that just really struck me. Like, I mean, think about that. Like, you will be with you longer than your wife, your husband, your kids. I mean, you will be the you will be with you longer than anyone, and in the most intimate way. And so, cultivating a relationship with our inner life through journaling, or and when I say journaling, by the way, and I'm not just talking about sitting down and writing. One whole year, my journal consisted of every night I would make a list of ten things that brought me pleasure that day. Um, For the last two years on Instagram, I make a list of five things I'm grateful for and invite my followers to do the same. And then I get to read about all these things people are grateful for. And um, on Instagram, I just want to say my username is Coach on Call. It's not Cheryl Richardson. Great. Um, And also, I think photographs are a wonderful way, especially now with smartphones, sometimes journaling is creating photo albums. Like every day I try to take at least one picture of something that's beautiful. And when I go back and I look in photo albums of the beautiful moments in my life, it it t- teaches me something about myself. And it reminds me of um, what really matters to me. And I think, so I think we have to expand our notion of what journaling is to be more about the activities we engage in every day that say to us, you matter. I'm paying attention to you. I'm here for you. I'm present with you. You have my attention. Um, Because for most of us, the whole world has our attention on a regular basis. We don't have enough of our own attention. And, um, And in a lot of ways, I took a big risk when I put this book out I, I I was convinced I wasn't going to publish it till the day I hit send because it's very honest and it's about what happens when we decide to stop and pay close attention to examine our life. You know, that's what I do. I live an examined life and then I write about what I discover. I mean, that's really that you could sum up my career <laughs> as, as a writer and a teacher pretty much. And, um, and that's what I, I really want for others is to live an examined life. Give yourself the attention you deserve. And I think that's so important, whether it is figuring out how to achieve more of a work-life balance or getting rid of clutter and organizing your life and time so that it supports you and feel more feels more spacious or your health, all the points that you talk about in more of your how-to books, I love that you're also there with us as an honest participant, you know, just like I've talked on the show about things going on in, in my relationship with Chloe, like we're not here to pretend like it's all perf- perfect. Yeah. We're here to yeah. remind you that it is about the process. That's right. That's yeah. right. 
That's it, it, that's what it's all about. I mean, really, the soul is here to experience life. Period. And we're not here to accomplish or acquire or conquer. We're really here to be fully present for the experience of life and for the beautiful experience of our connection to one another because we are all connected. And I'm so pleased that we had this chance to to share this these moments together, Cheryl. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more about Cheryl's work, uh, you can visit CherylRichardson.com. Her new book, Waking Up in Winter, is available, and as well as all of her other books and audio programs through Audible, Sounds True. You can find it all on on Amazon and through Cheryl's website, her Instagram, etc. We'll have links to all of that in the resources section of the uh, show notes and, and transcript for this episode. Uh, meanwhile, um, Cheryl, is, is there anything else that people should know about how they could work with you or get in touch with you? You know, I don't maintain a coaching practice anymore. But So the best thing to do to learn about the events that I'm doing or the retreats, I do host two retreats a year. Um, they're just intimate gatherings of 50 people, and they're very organic and uh, coaching. That's where you can get coaching from me. Um, the best place is to subscribe to the newsletter at CherylRichardson.com because I put a blog out every Sunday night and um, I always include what I'm up to in there as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. And it's such a pleasure to, to meet you and spend some time with you today. Thank you, Neil. And thank you for the good work that you're contributing to the world. You have such high quality people on your podcast, people who are really steeped in a lot of experience and knowledge and um, I really appreciate that you're putting this out into the world. It's so important right now. Mm, thank you so much for saying so. It's it's definitely work that's so important to me. So it's helpful yeah. to have that feedback from you. Great. Thanks, Neil. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.